0: People will ask me what's wrong, and I look them in the face and go, I don't know. Nothing's wrong. There's just something that's bothering me. My name is Larissa Pfeiffer. I've been coming to Impact for three years. I came when I moved here to go to college, and we just stayed. There was no reason to try anywhere else. It was, it felt like home. I grew up as a pastor's kid. My dad was a Baptist pastor for about seven years. As a kid, God was always viewed as this great man that's in the middle of an ocean that you can only get to if he sends a boat to get you and bring you to him. When I was about 13, our church decided that they didn't want my dad there as a pastor anymore. There was a lot of anger toward my dad and I remember being 13, 14 years old Feeling that inside, even though none of the anger was directed at me, it was all directed at my dad, I felt it. I was very tingly, I was very shaky. I remember everything just kind of tunneled, and that's when I had my first seizure. Mom just assumed that I was exhausted, and I just passed out. And I just remember sitting there just thinking, something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. Every once in a while, I would get that again. It was tingly and shaky feeling and tunnel vision and couldn't hear anything that was going on around me and all I could really think to do was get on the ground and not move. The first one i qualify as a panic attack was after I moved here for college. And when this panic attack hit, I ran. The only thing I could feel like that would make me feel better was I just completely stripped down and went into the shower and just sat there. And then that wasn't working, so I got into bed and I wrapped myself up as tight as I could with blankets and I finally was able to just calm down. I called off work. I just couldn't get myself in the mindset to do anything but homework. It was just homework. Homework and sleep, homework and sleep. Not feeling like I'm on the ground, not feeling like I can even see through my own eyes, more like I'm walking around and I'm viewing myself as someone else looking at me. And then I started having seizures, after seizures, after seizures. I would go, I went to get my wisdom teeth out, I had a seizure in the lobby. I went to get blood work done, I had a seizure. The more tests we did, the more came up just fine. There was nothing wrong with me on the medical scale. And this led to several different tests and um, just uh, pamphlets to fill out and stuff like that. And we finally got down to bipolar disorder but it would only be able to express that in complete shutdown of my body. And that came out in panic attacks. That's when I have the most anxieties when I'm manic because you're hyper aware of everything going on around you. This is me with arms open wide saying, Jesus, I can't, I can't get to you on my own. That's one of the biggest things that's helped me get through all of this is remember, I don't have to fix me. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm a human being. I'm a vessel. That's the point. I'm supposed to be filled with something else. I'm not supposed to be filled with myself. And that's when I kind of started diving headfirst into here and making sure I was around people that were pouring as much as I was giving out. I don't need to try and fix me. I need to try and let God reshape me and use this as gold in the cracks. God is the only one who could stand on the water and teach me how to swim while I'm there. He's the only one who can walk out on water to me to help me get back to solid land, and He's the only reason that I'm still here. I'm Larissa. I've been battling mental illness, and through Christ and the Holy Spirit, I have learned that I don't have to sit in that chapter. I can turn the page.
1: Larissa is is actually here with us tonight. Um, You can't miss her. She has red hair and she's back in the tech booth. Can you just raise your hand so we can acknowledge you here today? Thank you so much for your boldness. Um, I know especially coming out of uh, the background that you did, uh, some of the people are going to see this video and actually hear about that for the first time and uh, they're there's definitely just fear and shame and embarrassment that may be inside of you right now as you've gone public and i just want you to know we're here for you there's a lot of people here that open up in this place for the first time about something uh, that's kind of a skeleton in their closet and we're going to be here no matter what the fallout of that is um I think sometimes when you just kinda hit rock bottom and just kinda share in that desperation, that's where freedom starts for so many of us here. And uh, we don't have to hide any longer. And I just, I want you to know in whatever row you're in, um, I can guarantee you statistically that you're in a row of someone who's falling on somewhere in the spectrum of mental health or mental illness. And you might be like, well, it's not me, but it's in your row. It's in this church. Sometimes we're like, man, if you don't have Jesus, I feel bad for all those people that don't have Jesus that are really wrestling through mental health. I'm telling you, um, it's hashtag church too. It's right here. And there is a silence and a secrecy about this for some reason, specifically in the church. And I think I know the reason is we think and have a myth that once we come to know Christ, And Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, comes and resides in our heart. We think all of that stuff goes away. But I'm here to tell you, in the brokenness of the world we live in, this side of the Garden of Eden and this side of heaven, this place in between, there is the affliction of mental anxiety and fear and disorders of all kinds that afflict us that we find new pathways to get through, we find friend, friendships, community, we find um, tools to help us to, to get through some of these things and I'm speaking from experience because I'm going on nine plus years of taking a medication for acute anxiety in my life and I am here because I had some sleeping aids when I was going through it and lost 30 pounds nine years ago when I was going to the doctor's office and I was sitting on the the butcher table in my underwear, like a little boy. And the doctor came in and said, you're not having a heart attack. There's nothing wrong with your lungs. We've done all the battery of tests that we can do. You just have stress, son. And I started a journey and I have found in friendship and reading God's word and memorizing his word and filling myself with the spirit and going through freedom appointments and having people anoint me with oil and having people do all kinds of crazy things. When you're going crazy and when you're losing your crap, you'll do anything. Like you'll travel anywhere, you'll do any spiritual thing, you'll do anything like let me wash your feet between your toes, go for it i don 't care i don 't care what you have to do if you could bring relief to this affliction i 'll take anything and what I want you to know in this church is there is no stigma for mental health and I can tell you right now if you come into this place and you listen to music and it 's encouraging and you see this video and you hear this message and you leave and you still feel that heaviness on your shoulders and on your heart and you still feel that pain and panic inside of yourself Jesus didn't take it away today we don't believe as a church in an hour and 15 minutes everything goes away in your life that you have a problem with that sometimes it goes for weeks and months and years, and sometimes you fight the good fight for the rest of your life with good-hearted people around you that are fighting with you, and you can survive this, and you can thrive in the middle of your mental disability or disorder or emotional breakdowns. You are valued. You aren't crazy. And you are among friends. And you are in good company in this place because whether you know it or not, I'm the pastor here and I get the emails here and I meet with the people here and we are dumpster fires in this place. (laughs) So nobody's gonna pull a fast one on me. I'm looking at Dan Boone. He meets with like, he's on the recon. He goes in where I don't even wanna go into the darkness and he sees the darkness that fills even people in this place. And I'm telling you, we're not scared of it. Because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. But we are also not pretending with little quibs that today we have a special little elixir or silver bullet that's going to take it away. And if you just pray this one thing or you just through incantation just you know say this prayer or the Lord's prayer or, or pray through the rosary one more time, none of that stuff is going to take away the stuff I'm talking about today. We need it all. We need medication, we need doctors, we need therapists, we need coaches, we need people to disciple us, we need church, we need the war of worship to sing out our our heart's desire to God. We need the word of God, that's the sword of the spirit to slice through it, we need the armor of God. We need it all and we need each other. And one thing we need more than anything is for the church to get real. And quit just dressing up and, and kind of faking this faux Christianity, this pseudo Christianity. It's crappianity is what it is. And it's not helping anybody. And it starts from leaders. Because I think we have the, the most to lose in many ways. We're scared to death if we open up that we have some sort of weakness or an underbelly of some sort of affliction like this that will be disqualified. And it's It's bunk. You know how many people are starving for vulnerable leaders who will honestly, with transparency, open up that, yes, I can lead with strength, and I can lead with strength precisely because I glory in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, then God is strong. Amen. I, I love the Bible more and more because I realize it's, it's not just filled with lots of, tropes or lots of best case scenario stories or all of the the great superheroes that did super heroic things that it's filled with human beings that were human. And and one of them I want to look at today that doesn't get a lot of playtime as it relates to mental illness or mental health is Paul. Because if I have an image of Paul that's a superhero, I'm sure that you do too, because he's the guy who was just like studied under Gamaliel, had the best education, he was incredibly smart, incredibly gifted, he was a church persecutor that became a church planner on the road to Damascus, his life was converted, he went out, he looked at the disciples who at the day had spent three years with Jesus, they were like pretty cool dudes, and he went to them and he's like, you're not leaving Jerusalem for some reason, and fulfilling the great commission to go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of of the earth. So I'll tell you what, you stay in Jerusalem and you minister to the Jews and I'll take care of the rest of the world. That's the kind of juggernaut this guy was. This guy was a powerhouse of Christianity. He wrote half in the New Testament. He spread out to Asia Minor and took it to the ends of the world as it was known at the time. So everybody looked at him and got his letters that we read about in the New Testament were like, that guy is all that in a bag of chips, man. That guy knows his stuff. He's an amazingly He is a powerhouse of of God. And I think Paul started reading the press about himself and said, "I, I think I gotta come clean, not who I am in God, but who I am without God as a human. So that you can make a delineation between looking at Jason as a guy who has the armor of God and clothes himself with Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, lives with the fruits of the Spirit, which is the Trinitarian covering, the armor of God, the clothing of Christ that's mentioned in the Bible and the fruits of the Spirit, all those things are certainly me, but that is me with God, the hope of glory, as Paul says. That's me hidden with Christ in God, as he says in Colossians. That's not just me. That's me with God. And I think Paul was like, I hear things being spoken of about me. And what they don't realize is me without God ain't much to talk about. In fact, me without God, the older that I get and the more that I go through is thinning and it's getting thinner. And I need to tell people in a vulnerable, transparent way who I am. And I think as a leader, I wonder when I read this passage in 2 Corinthians 1, if he was speaking this out to get this off of his chest because it's like, I need to feel real. Or if it's like for the good of the people in Corinth that he was sharing for. But we read in 2 Corinthians 1, if you have your Bibles, you can open up. If you've never seen this before, hopefully today will just be an illumination and a revelation that you'll experience a visitation of God afresh in your life. That's my prayer. Chapter one, 2 Corinthians starting in verse eight. I love how Paul starts this off. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters about the hardships or the pressures we faced in the province of Asia for we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this all happened that we might rely on God, not ourselves, the one God who raises the dead. Now, before all of we Christians go to the end, and dismiss the beginning and be like, oh, we know the end of the story. It's all about the resurrection of the dead. It's all about God's redemption, good. At least we're gonna end with a little whipped cream and some cherry on top. I wanna start the way he started and to strip away who we are without God's armor and his clothing and the spirit's filling. I love it when he says, I just don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters. It's that sort of misinformation that, that can kill people and community and really the strength of the church of God as the expression of God in this world is that we are uninformed and misinformed and misinterpret each other every single day. And he said, I I just don't want to be misrepresented. I don't want to be misinterpreted. I want you to know who I really am as a human being. Paul the human, not just Paul the Christian. Because in this room, we are all humans. And some of you here are Christians. Some of you are not. The good thing about this message is this is for everybody because I want to talk to you about the human experience and the Christian experience. And he said, I think sometimes you, you're underneath a mish, myth or an illusion of who I am and you have labeled me and you have pigeonholed me to be a certain way and you are uninformed about who I am and what I'm really in the middle of and what I'm going through. If you only knew, and it seems like you don't know, so I'm gonna come out and I'm gonna out myself and let you know who I really am without God. I can't let you be uninformed anymore. Some of you think you know me. You don't know me. I don't know you. You don't know the people in your row. The reason why we have to have so much compassion, not just conviction over our our values and our creeds, but compassion for humanity, is we just gotta be open to the fact that we don't know what we don't know about the affliction in people's lives. And we gotta show up every day and be kind to each other. Like, you don't know who you're walking by. I don't care if somebody's got road rage and they flip you the birdie and you want to respond in kind. You have no idea what hospital they might just come from. You have no idea what just happened to their child. That they're just about ready to snap, they're about ready to lose their mind. And, and we use that all the time, man. Oh, my goodness, I couldn't believe it. The lions, you know, lost again. I'm just losing my mind. No, I'm talking about really losing your crap. Some people are are literally on a thread and they're hanging over the precipice of an abyss and they are so just tapped out and so strung out in their life and you're meeting them. It's so easy to be like, God, I know what's going on in their life. They're just jerks. Well, maybe they are in that moment, but they demand our kindness. We need patience and compassion and long suffering is a better word for patience. How long can you suffer with somebody who's suffering? That should be the church. We should be the entity and the organism that suffers the longest amount of time with a person who's suffering. Oh, they made it five minutes. Well, my parents, man, they made it two years and that's as much as they could take. My extended family, I live with my grandma and she took it for two years and then I got kicked out. The church, for some reason, man, they've put up with me And there's no end in sight because they're literally loving me with the agape love of God and they're loving me because they've been through stuff and they remember going through this stuff and so they're comforting me with the comfort they received. In fact, early on in the text, it says, "'I praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, "'who comforts us in all of our troubles "'so that we can comfort those in any trouble "'with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. "'For just as we share abundantly "'in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. It's not on the slide because I wasn't planning on sharing it, but it seems apropos. (laughs) The reason we comfort is because we've received such massive magnanimous comfort from God. How dare we receive all this forgiveness and then be so short wicked in our forgiveness? How could he be so patient with you for years and years and decades and decades? Man, my calf muscles are keeping my pants up. (laughs) How in the world Could we receive all of that freely we've received now freely we must give. It says in the New Testament. We should be the ones with just the the most open heart. But Paul, he's a hurt guy in 2 Corinthians because he'd already written a letter and they had turned from him and he had to defend his apostleship because people had come in and they were called super apostles. I love that word. Literally in the Bible, super apostles. 2 Corinthians 11. They come in, they're all that, and they're coming in with, you know, flowery speech and silver tongues and dressed in the garb, and they've got it all going on like Donkey Kong, and he comes in. And what is the way that he expresses his authority as an apostle? He strips down all the super out of the thing and says, I want you to see me. What gives me credibility as an apostle is emptying myself like Christ emptied himself, called the kenosis in Greek, Greek, and he made himself a servant of no reputation, and he took on the likeness of humanity, and he served, and he suffered, and he sacrificed for people. So I don't want you to be uninformed, and he goes on through five different layers. I don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced. In the province of Asia, it sort of starts with troubles, doesn't it? The Greek word for troubles means hardships or difficulties or suffering or things you're wrestling with. A lot of these are extrinsic things. These are circumstantial or situational things. They happen to you and they pile up, don't they? Like right now, some of you are having a hard time even thinking about what I'm talking about because you're thinking about something going on in your life that you're going to have to face this week, or you're thinking about what you faced this last week, and it's trouble. And it's a struggle. And it's a hardship that you're facing right now, and you're right in the fat middle of it. And it hasn't gone to mental illness yet, but it's the first thing that starts to tweak you a little bit. It's the first thing that starts to poke at you a little bit and test you a little bit, and you start to get a little testy. And he says, I want you to know, I'm walking around and I'm in different places and I'm starting some amazing things and I'm reading the press out there and what people are saying about me, but I want you to know, I go through trouble. My life is not always like blow pops and Skittles raining down from the sky. I go through affliction. I go through difficulties, just like everybody else. I'm with you guys in Corinth. He says, not only were there troubles that I faced in the province of Asia, we were under great pressure, under great pressure. The word there in the Greek is kata boreo." And it means just that. It's where we get the word stress or I'm buried or I'm burdened or I'm weighted down or life is starting to get heavy. You ever said these phrases? How are you feeling like that? I just just feel heavy. I just feel burdened. I feel a little bit stressed out. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a world that in a matter of five to seven years, like Statistically speaking, kids that are between the age of four and seven are wondering if they want to stay alive like they can barely think in abstract ways about life and they have already come to certain conclusions in their mind based on all the information coming through social media and information through platforms and televisions and every new app we download through Disney Plus and Amazon and we're binge watching all of this stuff. They have seen enough about life to wonder if life is worth living and we're talking about children that are buried under anxieties and fears and traumatic experiences and their brains are literally frying under stress. Great pressure, pressure from scholastics and schools to get good grades. Why do you need to get good grades? Well, it starts now, kid. I want to put you with somebody that can put you in the next level because I want you to, like, graduate college when you're a freshman so that you can graduate grad school when you're 22. And all this stuff, no kid left behind, has turned into a dumpster fire of pressure. Teachers can't even teach our kids anymore normal everyday things because all they're thinking about is I got to get them ready for a test. So we're giving them tests to take tests so that we can get money from the government. And it's not about dwelling with their story and caring about the whole of their life. It's all about the grade they get on a test so that they can someday make it and not live down, down by the river near the bridge. And they're freaked out. And the parents here, a couple of them are clapping because they're like, I know. Because sometimes they do everything at school and then we got three hours of homework and they're only eight years old. Like when are they going to be able to play? And then you get older and it just gets worse. And then they see that in their parents because their parents are fighting and they're on their second marriage and their third marriage and they're like, if that's what living is, the older you get and this is what I already feel, I want out. And so they're junior hires and senior hires, and they're like, before I turn 18 and I have to pay for my own cell phone and my own insurance and get off the insurance of my parents, I just want to find a way to get out of the grid, off the grid, out of this matrix. And so they're committing suicide. Like you wouldn't believe in the last seven years, like the percentage of 30 to 40%, it's gone up. If I show you the statistics, you'd be sad. And there's like 49,000 that committed suicide in 2017, just people across the board. That's like 129 people a day. That's like one every 10 minutes in America. And that's two years ago. I bet you it's spiked even beyond that now. You know who commits suicide more than anybody else? People over the age of 70. That was an interesting thing to realize. And you know the second greatest number? White males that are middle-aged. They're just checking out. And then kids like never before. Great pressure. Don't you wish you just ended there and went right to the resurrection of Christ, raised from the dead? He doesn't, he said, oh, the great pressure. It was far beyond our ability to endure. Far beyond is the word in Greek is which ability or power and comes from hyper. It's a hypertension that you start living with or hyperextension. Anybody blown out their knee? Like it's supposed to bend that way, but not that way. <laughs> that you in your life have great ability, but that ability that goes too far and hyperextends itself so that you don't have the endurance. You can have all kinds of dynamite, you can have the dynamite, you can have the power and be a dynamic person, but have it be far beyond your ability to endure, and you've got a high threshold. I can just speak from experience, I have been given and I stand on the good graces of great mom and dad and a great heritage and I think a great genetic like disposition, like I had a great setup to be a success in my life. As I look back, they had nothing to do with me. I owe a great debt of gratitude to how I was raised in my heritage and, and the legacy and and what was given to me, not not monetarily because I grew up in a very, very poor house in a very small town with lots of less than average things, but I had above average love. And I have intelligence and I went to school and I went to college and I had all these gifts and all these abilities in a multiplicity of areas. And I'm telling you, this world is trying to take all I can give it and then ask for more. Is it doing that to you? Is it saying, well, if you can do that much, can you do this much? And if you can give that, why couldn't you give just a little bit more? And I'm telling you, I don't care how much ability you have. If you go beyond your ability to endure, inside of your heart, you might not tell anyone, but you know you're not functioning out of the fuel that's in your tank. You're in your reserve tank and you're gonna run out of gas. And to switch the metaphors up, the rubber bands are stretched really, really taut right now and they're about ready to snap and nobody knows it because you have been hyperextending all of your gifts, all of your power, all of your abilities, and you don't have the threshold or resilience to endure it anymore. And I'm not preaching this from me. I'm just saying that's what the text said Paul was going through. And he says, and you know what that did? That sent me to the next kind of mental illness where I'm about ready to snap inside and things are getting ready to break and this house of cards is coming down and I got all these abilities that are hyperextended and I don't know if I can endure anymore. I'm starting to despair even of life itself. That's a scary thing to hear come out of a loved one's mouth. When they look at life itself and it doesn't take their breath away, and they don't feel hope. The, the word for despair here comes from the word exasperation. It's exaspera. It's it's I think exasperario, and it's being so exasperated. It has the connotation of beyond despair, like like a depletion of resources and and a loss of hope. And it's it, it, I don't think. It's worth it anymore, just a despondency. This is where the word depression comes into the equation. The despair of life is like, I just don't know if I even can get up out of bed and be motivated to do life today. Anybody ever felt that? Like, even if I win, it feels like losing. Even if I achieve something, it doesn't do anything for me anymore. Even if I just lassoed the moon and brought it down for people, they would be happy for 14 seconds until they were bored of it. And I'm going to have to lasso like Mars and then Pluto. And I'm just going to keep going out. Like what's enough? Enough's never enough. And you start despairing in your heart. And I'm telling you in the church, we, we have all kinds of ways to not acknowledge that people are in this place of depression and despair. And some people don't show up to church for a while or they don't go to work for a while. It's like, oh, they're, they're sick, they're sick. And they're not sick, they're curled up in their bed and they haven't showered and they're depressed and darkness has enveloped them. And we're just like, oh, they're just sick. Or yeah, yeah, they had to go to the hospital. Oh, they went to the hospital. Oh, that's too bad, I'll be praying for them. Yeah, it's the mental hospital. It's the psych ward. It's a facility to take care of them psychologically where the fissures started to turn to fractures and they need like a therapist to talk them through this despair that's closing in on them. And I'm telling you, it's spiritual. The enemy is having a heyday and it's emotional and it's psychological and it's relational and it's familial and, and it's sometimes even theological but it's all closing in on them and they can't handle it. And they just stop and they're paralyzed. Cause it goes from problems to pressure to, to me, which is a power like outage to paralysis. And some of you here are in despair this morning and nobody knows about it. In fact, a, a young girl came up, she's going to turn 18 tomorrow. And that's a trigger point for her because she's been happy, she said. It was her first time in church with her dad last night and she started crying during the video by one thing that Larissa said and she said, I have for years been making everybody around me feel like I'm happy and I am sad all the time and I'm the only one that knows it and you. And my dad saw me crying during the video and he was like, what's wrong? And she's like, nothing, nothing. And she said, I'm just scared to let people know that when I get into social settings, sometimes I leave and it's not to go to the bathroom, it's to leave because my heart is racing and my blood is hot and I'm having a social anxiety. Some people here are literally just just trying to hold it together to be in this room because they're claustrophobic and this is too many people and they're just having an attack right now. I've actually laughed my head off at a funny joke while having a panic attack. Because I've learned how to like sequester it over here while what I feel isn't what's real and I can separate it and I have the tools to say that's not real just because I feel that. But some people don't have those tools yet. And they don't know how to have pathways out of what they're feeling in the moment. And she just, tears just pouring down her face. There was another woman, she was driving by and she was having like panic attacks and fear and she was crying. And it was six o'clock and she hasn't been to church here before and she hasn't been to church in a long time. And she she said, I felt God say, you need to go to that place. So she came in and she's like, and then the first song came up and you were talking about darkness and I just started crying that God is for us and not against us. And, and then I cried during the songs and then the video and then what you shared. And I was like, I, I think God wanted me to be here. I think I'm gonna come back. Did, do you understand that God actually knows not just your name, but your frame of mind, your mental state. He knows where you're at. He'll stop you right on M21 and say, go over there. And She's just crying and we get to pray. Despair, sometimes it's just regret like I did a horrible job with my family. Sometimes you had a great life and now your kids are filled with anxiety and that's made you filled with anxiety because you cannot stop their anxiety and now you feel for their anxiety. Does anybody know what that is? Secondary anxiety, I could fix myself if it was me, but it's them and that makes me feel more out of control and I feel more filled with dread and trauma and fear and paralysis than, than they do. I'm afraid for them. Despaired even of life itself. And just when you thought it couldn't get worse, he he goes where nobody goes, hardly any of the time. He said, indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. If you just do any reading on the commentary, the word sentence of death is a court term and it means he looked into his own heart and he asked his heart, the jury and the judge of his heart in his own mind with all of these voices inside of his own soul, soul should we keep going on or not and the jury says we have a verdict, will the defendant stand we find the defendant guilty on all charges, die your own heart and this typically takes place between 1 and 4 in the morning for most people. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just talk to somebody where they're in their heart of their heart and they're talking to themselves and they're asking the question, is it worth it to keep going on? And even, they're either having thoughts of suicide or they're having plots of th- suicide. In fact, I just came in today. Can I share this? Can I share this from the one who shared it with me? Yell, yell yes if I can. Yes. No, you're not the one. <laughs> I just want you to know I came in today and somebody listened last night and came. And I respect that they don't want anyone to know this. And they just said to me, I want you to know that there were times where I was plotting my own death, but I couldn't figure out how to weigh a way to make it look like it was accidental, even though it was purposeful. And I I said, thank you for articulating that because a lot of people have done the same thing. Even if you've been in a place where you're like, I don't have the guts to kill myself. I just know I wish I wasn't alive. I think that would hit a bunch of people in this place right now. You despair of life itself, but you, if you could figure out a way to get out of here and not hurt your kids or your wife or your husband, you just want to go to heaven, which is a nice Christian way of saying, I don't wanna be here anymore. Paul felt that. And he looked at his own heart and said, heart, I know you're with me. No one loves me like you do, soul. We're in this together. Soul, should I keep going on? And the heart comes back, the gavel comes down, and it says, die. In fact, the word for the sentence of death is thanatos. Anybody watch the Avengers lately? It's where we get thanos or thanos or thanos or whatever his name is. I don't like the Avengers, didn't watch the movie, don't care. (laughs) But it's interesting, you look at thanos in the movie and there was, I was talking to someone about it and they said, one line in the movie he says is I am inevitability. (laughs) the God of death. Or the God of inevitability, this is what we're talking about here, is it is inevitable. Don't even try to stop me. We're this far down. There's no going back. There's no hope for you to change my mind. It's over for you. It's inevitable. You're gonna get taken out either. You're gonna take yourself out or someone's gonna take you out, but you need to be taken out. That's a scary conversation to have in your head between one and four in the morning when it feels like everybody else is asleep, but you're wide awake. With insomnia. Why would Paul share this 2,000 years ago? I'm going to give you a, just a, something that comes to my mind because he wanted to. And because he felt that this human experience would resonate with the human beings in Corinthians that would explain to them ways to not normalize suicidal thoughts, to not normalize all these feelings in the sense that we are are saying this is a good thing, but to normalize it saying can we open a conversation about what's really going on in our brain space? And certainly there are certain people here that can't share everything to everyone, but can you make sure you're sharing some of that with somebody because some of you here are just like, well, I'm not I'm not the person that's thinking su- su- suicidal thoughts or I'm not having mental breakdowns and I'm glad. I, I just, that's no knock on you if a lot of what I'm saying, you're like, this is news to me, man. I'm just like living life and living large and shot three buck this weekend and they were all over 10 point and it was awesome. I have the best life ever. Speaking of hunting, it was really great because I don't hunt. I hunt my my wife and I hunt for my boys and hunt for different things like this, but I don't hunt deer. But deer are all over my property. Two days ago, before guns started going off. And they were in my backyard and there were two little buck that were fighting for territory. And I don't know how all that works because I haven't read up much about hunting, but there's territory and they pee on stuff and all that stuff. Anyway... (laughs) so anyway there was there were some girls out there that were dancing around frolicking like little does and they were out there and i'd be driving in my driveway literally on wednesday and thursday and like a buck would be like 10 15 feet away and he'd be sniffing the dirt and i'd like roll down the wheel be like hey buck hey buckaroo what's up and would do nothing i'm like i could get out of my car and put that thing in a headlock and snap its neck like that would be the greatest story ever buck just all over the place Well, I was coming in with my boys and there were some deer and there were some doe and, and some buck and I was like right now they're, they're in a season where they're, the buck are in rut and Caleb he's just into like well what is that and I'm like well it's, it's a time where the boys are chasing after girls to marry And my son, God bless him, knows the difference between singular and plural from school. And he's like, do bucks, do boys marry lots of girls? And I'm like, no. I just lied because I don't want him to know about the polygamy in the deer community. <laughs> but it was so funny. And he's like, and then he said, do the girls ever chase the guys? And I'm like, No, it's just like real life, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard world out there, fellas. And then he wanted to ask more questions about what the bucks do when they get married. And I said, well, they just get married and uh, live happily ever after. I just went all Disney on them. Anyway, some of you here don't understand like some of what I'm talking about. You're having a good life right now, but you do understand trouble. Everybody understand trouble. Raise your hand in this place. Everybody that gets pressure, raise your hand in this place. I'm going to stop right there, okay? So we get the beginning part of problems or difficulties or pressure. Some of you were born with a particular personality or a disposition that you're pretty sensitive, that you have spidey senses that there's transference that happens in life and and you, you carry things because you care about things. And maybe we just will call it concern and it moves from being sensitive to concern, to burden, to stress, to pressure. And then it moves from stress and pressure to anxiety. And it moves from anxiety to fear to an anxiety attack. And then anxiety attack, the first time feels like you're having a heart attack. And then from there, it moves to something like dread. And it moves to worry. And it moves to going down wormholes of like worst case scenarios. And then you panic. And then you have a panic attack. And then you have insomnia. And then you have a mental breakdown. And then you have suicidal thoughts. And somewhere on that continuum, him. You're in this room today. And I want you to know if you're not all the way down here, there might be a day you will be, and you need to know this scripture exists yes. that you're not alone. And Paul says, this all happened. I experienced this and it happened to me that I might not rely on myself like I'm in control. I'm in control. I'll tell you when you're not in control, when finally your physio- physiological body and your psychological internals are at civil war with each other. And you're like, what is happening to me? I can't stop this. I can't prevent it. I didn't start it. I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm having a freak out moment and I'm crazy. I want you to know when that happens, that happened to people in the Bible too. And what they did is they leaned over and said, it just keeps me so close to God because I know I need him because without the armor of God and clothing myself with Christ and filling myself with the spirit of God so I live out the fruits of the spirit, I want you to know without that, I'm the guy up here. But once I got God in my life, I can overcome because he raises the dead places and the dark places in me and he puts me on my feet and he pulls me close to his chest and he says, it's gonna be all right. With me, it's gonna be all right. I don't care what has happened you, what you've experienced, what you're going through, you can get through it with God. And in the same book in 2 Corinthians, he said in chapter 4, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're in despair, but we're not confused, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And then he's like, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the excellency of the powers of God and not of us He just admitted I'm a fragile vessel, earthen vessel of God. And all I do is I'm a container with the fragility of the vessel that I am of the excellency of the power of God. So anytime you look at me and say, Paul is awesome, I'm going to cut you off and say, Paul is not awesome. Paul is Paul. But with God. I am more than a conqueror with God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me with God. I can do anything, but without God, you're looking at a pretty fragile, feeble guy that is on the brink of death. And so I rely on God for everything that you see. It's all God. I mean, he even in second Corinthians 12, same book, cried out three times, take this thorn away from my flesh. And people don't know what that thorn is. I look at things like this and I'm like, I know what it is. Can you take this thorn of mental illness away from me, God? It's killing me. And he would not do it. But he said, I want to keep it there because my Strength is made perfect in your weakness and my grace is sufficient for you. And he went from crying for God to take it away three times, pleading with him to take it away, to saying, okay, then I'm gonna glory in my weakness, in my difficulties, in my struggles, in my persecutions. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The same guy. And I just want you to know here today, you're not alone. You're not crazy. It's not over for you. If, if you've got thoughts even today, that this is gonna be the week that you check out of this place, people love you, people would be devastated. Don't do it, we want you, we need you, there's hope. And that even if, if you have to live with a certain part of your affliction, that problem that you have in your life can be God's platform he uses in power to show his strength if you'll let him. Everything about who I am, the worst parts, I have glory and I have shame. There are things that are a blessing and a curse in my life. Everything that is my bread and butter has an underbelly that I hate. And I have to remind myself when the part of it emotionally or cerebrally, you know, in my mind or mentally that I struggle with that's an illness or an affliction. And I'm like, God, it's so embarrassing. I have to take these anti-anxiety pills in order to get some breathing room. But they saved my life so that I was like, I couldn't even hear from God when I was going through the affliction. And these pills, they helped me to be able to have some space to hear from God. And Christians will be like, well, you should be able to hear from God and that should give you space. Well, it didn't work that way. And I'm so thankful for researchers out there and doctors and therapists that are finding ways. We're not, we are not creating things that God knew nothing about. We are just discovering things that help us that God created, and we're only just discovering these things, medicines and otherwise. Amen. And I know there are others that are coping with your own ways to medicate And and you don't have to do that. You don't have to go to the bottle. You don't have to take all those opioids. You don't have to maybe take the, the degree of medications. If you could find Christ and you could be clothed with him and armored with him and filled with him, Somehow in that cocktail of community and God and therapists and doctors and medication for chemical imbalances and all that stuff, we could find a place of power and a platform to be used of God, everyone in this place. I'm not joking. You have worth. Yes. And when God called you and chose you, he, he wasn't having a day of amnesia. It wasn't an accident. You're not a mistake. You have meaning and value. And what you're going through, as hard as it is in any one of these stages, when it shows God's resurrection power in you, it gives you authority and credibility like you cannot believe. The things I have done in the last years while going through a vexation of my soul astonish me, and I walk away and I'm like, it can only be God. I could have never done what's taken place in the last nine years, I'm serious. One thing I never struggle with, and I'm being serious, hand on the Bible, pride. I used to all the time. I I was such a competitive, proud, arrogant jerk when I was younger. God has completely allowed things to happen to me that make me feel so pitiful that I'm like, God, I'm nothing without you. Somebody came up to me a few weeks ago and they're like, man, it's just so amazing around here what you're leading. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing you can even fit your head through that door. We're in this room. And I'm like, ha. <laughs> Fit my head through the door. My head on most days has such low self-esteem and low self-worth because of what I go through in my mind and in my life that I could, he- I could fit my head through the crack under that door while it's closed. But God did a lot of things. God did a lot of things in our lives and in my life. And without him, I'm nothing. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know how you're doing it without God. And you probably got a cocktail of your own making to survive, but I'm telling you, you put God in the equation and start relying on Him. He's the one who raises the dead and will deliver you, it goes on in the passage, by the prayers of many saints. And so we thank you, God for being the God who brings resurrection and redemption. And we thank you for being the God who used people to write the scriptures that are inspired like this to actually let us have honest conversations in our life groups this week and in our homes after we go home about where we're really at, not where we wish we were at. And the people we really are, not the people that, you know, what, what people want us to be. Because that's where we begin the transformation, the reformation of becoming all that you've dreamed for us to be. God, I pray that you would wrap your arms around every beleaguered, crestfallen, broken spirit in this place and let them know, I hear you, I see you, I want you, I love you. You don't have to do anything more or less to be loved by God. You are loved by him because you are his child made in his image and he's going to keep chasing you down so God keep chasing us down we give ourselves to you afresh today the broken vessels and jars of clay that we are take us and fill us and use us for your glory we pray this in your son's powerful and healing name amen amen love you you are dismissed enjoy this beautiful day